This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Larry and Fadan, hour number three here on 98.7 ESPN. We talked football the first hour, basketball last hour, and now we turn our attention to some baseball because there's a player who signs money but can't seem to collect it. <laughs> so I turn to a guy who knows a lot and has great sources. He is Pat Ragazzo, covers the Mets and MLB for Sports Illustrated. Pat? Happy holidays, my friend. How are you? Happy holidays to you too, Larry. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you, sir. Have in, in your years of covering baseball, have you had a situation like Carlos Correa where you're signing, some, you, the, the uh, medicals come in, teams pause, you leave, you sign, medicals come in, teams pause, and now you're standing at the, at the shore waiting to see what ship is coming in? <laughs> No, I don't think we've seen anything like this. And, um, of course, the Giants found a problem with Correa's right leg, which he fractured back in 2014. And they believe they had to put a plate in that leg, uh, which affects the ankle area as well. Um, the Mets were aware of this when they signed him, and they knew that uh, that this was going to be on the medicals. But they, too, have, have had a holdup in, uh, in talks due to the same, uh, the same issue. So the question comes out, Pat, if both teams have seen this and, and they now pause, wh- why did the Mets think that there was something that maybe wasn't was different than what the Giants saw for them to just jump in and take a chance? Well, I just think that the Mets are okay with, with, uh, with what, what is there on the physical. It just comes to a matter of can they negotiate certain things into the deal, little details uh, that will cover them. Uh, you know, in case in case the leg does not hold up in the long term. But, um, you know, obviously the Mets felt comfortable enough to uh, to give the deal the magnitude that they did to Correa. And, um, yeah, that's, again, why uh, I believe John Heyman of the New York Post was reporting that there there is still optimism that a deal is going to get done between the two sides. Pat, this is a very important move for the Mets because with all the things they've done, and they've done a lot, brought in Verlander, re-signed Brandon Nimmo, made some other, you know, moves, brought in David Robinson for their bullpen, uh, they still, I felt last season, was short of another bat in that lineup. So if for some reason they can't work out the small details or the protections for them, where do they go next to try to get another hitter in that lineup? I think, first of all, I think that's a good, great question because I think you're right. I think they were a bat short last season, and Correa was the bat that not only that they needed, but he was the superstar bat that they've been longing for to put in the lineup to complement Lindor and Pete Alonso. Um, but I, I don't, I'm not really sure. I think that uh, the Mets probably just roll with the lineup that they have. Uh, if the Correa deal falls through, there's not really much uh, left out there on the, tri- on the uh, free agent market. Um, and I think it would be a huge loss if the deal wanted to fall through. Yeah, it's going to be a huge loss for the Mets. There's no question about it. And Pat, give me, give me a report card on what you think the Mets have been able to do in this offseason to try to get better. I mean, they won 101 games last year. And the concern for me as a Met fan was the top two guys, okay, in the rotation, both, uh, you know, DeGrom and Scherzer and also Bassett, number three, uh, really just couldn't do anything in Atlanta. The bats went, 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 went quiet. They couldn't pitch the way they pitched earlier, and you end up losing to Atlanta. So now, obviously, no DeGrom, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but give me an idea of your thoughts on the report card for the Mets to try to do get an improved team to get back and hopefully get uh, go deeper in the postseason this year. 
I think as long as the Correa deal holds up, I think that it'll be an A for the offseason. I mean, they've spent $800 million, driven the luxury tax payroll up to $377 million. They're going to have to pay $110 million in luxury tax penalties. But Steve Cohen doesn't care. He's trying to put an improved, not just a, a, a good team on the field, but an improved team from last year. And that's why they wound up signing Correa. Um, now Verlander and Scherzer are paired at the top of the rotation. Uh, you know, looks like a great one-two punch. Um, obviously, there is some concern there with the age, but Verlander's coming off a Cy Young season. Max Scherzer had a great season despite uh, dealing with a couple injuries and, uh, you know, a poor ending to the season where he got roughed up a bit or got roughed up in the wild card game, of course. Um, but I, I think, I think, yeah, I think that as long as uh, the Correa deal holds up that, that they wind up getting an A for this offseason, going out and getting Kodai Senga, who's uh, been compared to you Darvish by some talent evaluators. Um, also, you know, obviously Verlander, as mentioned, David Robertson is coming off a great year. Brooks Raley had a very good year for the Tampa Bay Rays in their bullpen. Um, so, yeah, so I think that the Mets uh, have done a great job. They also brought back Adam Ottavino, who's coming off a, a really strong season for the Mets uh, in his, his loan season in Queens. So, yeah, I think that the Mets kind of addressed all of their needs and holes despite losing Jacob DeGrom, as you mentioned, and Chris Bassett. Um, but they, they certainly have gotten better, uh, you know, on paper. Pat, covering this team last year, what happened to Bassett? He was so good at the beginning of the year. Even when DeGrom was out, he was he was very – everybody was like, this is a great number three guy. You, you know, we talk so much about the top of the rotation, but number three is good. Then the last month of the season, Pat, he just disappeared. Right. So besides a five-star rut that uh, occurred in late May to uh, to mid-June, um, Chris Bassett was very reliable for the Mets last year. He won 15 games, had a 3.42 ERA, and uh, really, really, you know, ate up innings for them and, and performed. But like you said, uh, you know, d- down the stretch of the season, he just he didn't show up. Uh, you know, he had a huge start in Atlanta where the Mets were trying to avoid a sweep, and he got roughed up. And then, of course, in the wild card game with the Mets backs against the wall, uh, you know, he didn't have his best stuff either and, and, uh, and got roughed up again. Um, so I think that's maybe also why the Mets were okay with letting him go. They were all right with replacing him with Sanga. They they loved Kodai Sanga and have been scouting him for years. So, um, you know, I think right now, at least on paper, that might be an upgrade, uh, you know, over Chris Bassett as solid as he was last season. Talking to Pat Ragazzo from SI, talking about Mets and MLB. This is Larry Hardesty in for Dan Grassa on the Dan Grassa Show on 98.7 ESPN. Pat, you mentioned Sanga. What is some of the – what what – what makes him so good? What makes him so appetizing for the Mets? And, and here's why I ask you the question, because having watched players from Japan normally, rotations are a little different, Pat. Some of them start once every seven days. Why do they think that Senga is a guy that can be able, much like you, Darvis, as you mentioned, who kills the Mets? <laughs> why is he uh, going to be that person that's able to make that adjustment to the major leagues and, and keep his stuff consistent while probably pitching more innings than he's pitched before? Well, first off, it's his talent. I mean, he throws in the upper 90s. He's touched 100 before, averages 96.1 miles per hour on his fastball. He's also got the ghost forkball pitch, which is very deceiving. Of course, uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka used to have the EFIS pitch or the, or the gyro pitch, I should say. Um, so the ghost fork is something that uh, has been said by talent evaluators to be a, a legitimate put-away pitch. Uh, in the big leagues. Um, and uh, yeah, they just, they really like the talent that they're getting, but they also like the makeup that they're getting in him. Um, this was a guy who was drafted in the developmental league 
and he he was a long shot to even make it to the MPB, and he made it to the MPB and became a superstar. So, um, you know, the Mets are, are not just, uh, you know, blown away by the talent that they're getting from in this arm, but they also, uh, you know, like the person and the head on the shoulders that they're that they're getting as well. Pat, you had a chance to cover him last season. We have looked at him, and I've talked about him, and, of course, my colleague Michael Kay here just, you know, had a chance to cover him when he was managing the Yankees and loves him. I mean, it was really, it was really fun to watch Buck Showalter have this team. It was, you know, unfortunate that he couldn't get that championship that he's going after. But uh, just, just talk a little bit about what he brought to the cl- the clubhouse and the calmness while this team was struggling in the middle of the season for for a small pet, small patch. How he was able to keep them right with all the injuries and stuff they had. Well, Buck's just one of the most influential figures in all of baseball. Um, he probably has the best baseball mind of any manager in the game right now. Uh, he's just so detail-oriented, and uh, he has the respect of the room. So, uh, you know, manager of the year is an understatement with Buck. Uh, you know, when the team's struggling, he didn't let them get too high or too low, and they trust him because of his track record and his resume. And um, it really seemed to go a long way in the clubhouse. And it wasn't just Buck, though. It was also the, you know, the veteran leadership they brought in, Max Scherzer and Starling Marte and Mark Canna. And guys like that in the room, uh, you know, it really was a whole transformation from 2021 to 2022 with the Mets clubhouse. And I think they did a good job in bringing in more of those leaders this offseason, David Robertson and Justin Verlander and, uh, you know, already having Scherzer, of course. And um, Brandon Nimmo is another guy who mm-hmm. who's looked at as a leader on this team. So, um, so yeah, so the combination of the, of the players they have in the clubhouse and also Buck Showalter really uh, made a big difference for the Mets th- uh, this past season. So, Pat, let's take a look at the, the other team in New York, the Yankees. Uh, I've got a couple of producers who are like, Larry, when are you going to ask him about the Yankees? What are the Yankees going to do? Uh, just give me your thoughts about the whole, in retrospect, the whole judge year, uh, hitting 62, what that was. And for me, and we've talked about it here, Pat, this has got to be one of the best I'm betting on myself years that any athlete in any major sport has had. Of all time. it's it's He had an all-time year. And uh, to say that it was smart for him to bet on himself was an understatement. He went out and had a historic season, and there's no way the Yankees could have let him go. I mean, he's the face of the franchise now. He's the newest captain of the Yankees, first from Derek Cheater. Um, it got, Judge made the Yankees sweat a little bit down the stretch there uh, with his negotiations and making it seem like he was you know, talking to the Giants and he was also talking to the Padres, but – um, I don't think he was ever going to leave the Yankees unless he got absolutely blown away by another offer. And the Yankees were never not going to match what he uh, what he was going to be offered. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, Aaron Judge betting on himself really paid off. And, uh, yeah, he's he's been rewarded with the contract because of it. Pat, what do you think the Yankees do next? Uh, obviously, they've got some holes to fill. They're looking at left field. What did they do with third base? They've got a lot of different positions. Uh Brian Cashman's normally a guy who likes to make moves, not so much in the offseason, but like at the trade deadline. Uh, see file under Rizzo and, you know, other moves that he's made over the years. So what do you th- what do you think the Yankees are going to do? From your reporting, where are you hearing that they might be looking to have some interest? Well, left field is, is the number one point of interest right now with the Yankees. And um, on the free agent market, there's just nothing out there right now. They were interested in bringing back Andrew Benatendi. He got a big contract from the White Sox. And, um, you know, there were some other names on the market who they were interested in who, who got plucked off rather quickly. So um, I think that they're, they're, they're going to have to explore the trade market if they hope to 
upgrade in left field, and uh, that's currently the biggest area of need right now, the biggest glaring hole on the Yankees right now, which is uh, having Aaron Hicks slated in left field, and I don't, I don't see how they can go another season with him slated as their starting left fielder. What did they do at third base? I mean, you got Donaldson, who, you know, good glove, did not hit well for them at all last year. You've got, you know, DJ LeMahieu, who's getting older. Uh, don't know if he can play the field. He's not as good a fielder, but you figure the bat is better. I mean, what did they do with third? So back at the GM meetings in Las Vegas in November, um, I asked Brian Cashman just that. I asked him, is Josh Donaldson your third baseman? And he said, yes, he is our third baseman. He's under contract. And, um, you know, we believe he still has a lot left in the tank. And that last year, uh, you know, he was just maybe a little unlucky at third. So I think that the Yankees are going to go with Donaldson again at third base and maybe give DJ LeMahieu some time there. And, um, you know, of course, they have the young shortstops coming up soon. So uh, IKF is another guy who could, uh, you know, maybe fold into the mix there at third as well. Do you see see them doing any major upgrades there? Yeah, it's fascinating, Pat, because you wonder if they have to make a deal even for left field, do they make that move – in using some of the young talent that they were reluctant to move during the trade deadline? Do you think they'll have to do that to get something done? And part part B of that question, is Glaber Torres coming back? Right now, I think Glaber Torres is coming back. Um, if they do want to get a legitimate outfielder uh, off, off the trade market, they, uh, you know, in the form of an impact player, they, then they would have to, uh, you know, part ways with some of maybe that young talent that they have. I mean, they do have a surplus of shortstops. They got the two kids in uh, Volpe and Oswald Peraza. And um, I, I think that um, a guy like that who they could go after was Brian Reynolds on um, on the Pirates. So that's who, uh, if the Yankees are going to give up any young talent, it would be for a player of that caliber. Or they could look, uh, you know, for the mid-level, uh, you know, left fielder who's an upgrade over Hicks, but maybe won't cost as much. That's probably the more realistic route that they're probably going to go. One thing we know about the Yankees, they, they're they going to make a move. I'm, I'm confident about that. But they did at least sign somebody other than Aaron Judge. They beefed up their starting rotation a little bit. Let's talk about Carlos Rondon. Carlos Rondon's coming off two straight very, very strong seasons for the San Francisco Giants and the Chicago White Sox two years ago. Um, he was a guy who last offseason the you know teams were worried or there was rumors that they were worried about his medicals. Uh, you know, on his shoulder because he had a, he had shoulder fatigue down the stretch of the 2021 season, but that clearly was not a problem for him with the Giants last year. Um, and the Yankees upgraded their rotation. I mean, with Carlos Rodon joining the joining the mix with the Yankees rotation, they're one of, if not the best rotation in the American League and in all of baseball. So um, I think that the Carlos Rodon signing was a nice uh, a nice little uh, you know secondary move there, even though it's not a secondary move because it was one of the top starters on the on the entire market, but secondary move to signing Aaron judge. Um, I think the Yankees got better on their pitching staff with, uh, by bringing in Rodon. Pat, last thing, uh, Steve Cohen going to be, um, heralded by the MLB players association for getting guys more money and more years in their contract. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think, uh, Steve, what Steve Cohen is doing is, uh, you know, he's spending cause he wants his team to win and it's good for the game of baseball. Um, I know there there has maybe been some feathers that he's ruffled a little bit, but um, you know he's he's giving the fans what they want. This is the entertainment aspect. The fans want to play MLB the Show and fantasy baseball, and uh, Steve Cohen's been providing it with, with the way he's constructed this Mets roster. There's no question about it, and, and he's influenced a lot of teams over Major League Baseball. That's for sure. 
Pat Ragazzo, thanks very much. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you down the line. Happy New Year, my friend. Thanks a lot. Happy New Year, and thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Pat Ragazzo covers the Mets and MLB for Sports Illustrated. When we return, we'll get your thoughts on what Pat had to say. That's next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. The Mets are trying to get some protection in the Correa deal. And that's smart. And that should have been negotiated, honestly, early. (laughs) And I'm glad they're doing it before the signing has become official. Maybe they'll take years off. Maybe they'll just be, okay, if he doesn't play X amount of games, we get this, or so on and so forth. But from the Mets' standpoint, he is the bat that they need in their lineup to supplement a up-and-down season from Lindor, a up-and-down season from Alonzo, if you have it, if you have these things. And Starling Marte. Once again, this lineup changed once Marte got hurt and was not available. And I really believe, really, that if Marte had been available, the Mets would not have been manhandled in Atlanta the way they were the last part of the season. There's the extra bat was there. You just missed him. You really missed him and what he brought, the intangibles that he brought. So if they're able to, if they're able to work out the deal with Correa, okay, then yes, that would be the extra bat that I was that I've been calling for from last season, from last season's straight deadline. Vogelbach did was was nice. Okay. But I was looking for an everyday bat in the lineup. He could still be the DH. You could see you could find somebody else to him, rotate him in the DH. Okay. You could still find that person. But uh for me, I, I, I just really would feel better if they had another bat. I like what they've done with the bullpen. And listen, I don't expect, and you heard Gordon and I talk about this last week. I don't expect that Carlos that Carlos that Edwin Diaz is going to have the same uh, year he had last year. I, I just don't, I can't expect it. He was he was unhittable last year. That's unhittable. And the attitude and the confidence and everything he was he was dominant. He was great. He was he was last year the way he was in Seattle. He had, what, 50, 50, over 50 saves. He was great. Can he do that again? Maybe he could. Can I expect that? Nope. <laughs> nope. I expect that he'll he'll have a couple of games where he just can't be good. Now, I will say this. I was surprised, but I liked the way Buck Showalter used him on occasions. Came in to get four outs. Came in to get five outs. He managed him well. He did a nice job managing him so that he didn't overwork him. And now he's got depth. You know, David Robinson's a great number, great setup guy who has the experience of being a closer in New York, following Mariano Rivera. Really? So there's nothing he hasn't seen that he can't handle. Okay? So he knows what to do. So I'm I'm happy. Alvino, listen, Alvino had a great year last year. I covered him with the Yankees. I'm not a big, I I know how he can be. 
So I give him credit. He had a great year last year. Some of the issues that he may have fixed, good, because he was much better last year than he was previously. So I like what the Mets have done. I do. Now, if I'm a Yankee fan, I'm not real happy with what I heard from Pat. Because most Yankee fans that I speak with are done with Donaldson at third. Done. Done. Goodbye. See ya. <laughs> Don't want to be bothered. But he is under contract. And I think Cashman, he's going to, he, it's his job to lose. He will be the starter. But if he has a season like he had last year in the first half, don't be surprised if he's packaged in a trade to go somewhere. Because that's what Cashman does. He's more of a, and of course it, it could be different, but Cashman's more of an adjustment guy. Okay, this is not working out. This is, okay, let's see if I can do this and this to get that. That's how he normally rolls. So I, I think he'll do the same unless something just comes up that, you know, maybe it's an injury situation for a team or something of that nature where somebody offers him, he gets to be that person that deals from a position of need and strength. Then he'll do something before the season. But normally, he's a midseason type guy. He's a trade deadline guy. I think he'll be that way again this year. We'll continue the conversation on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. We end the final half hour of the show where we started the show tonight, and that's with the National Football League. We started Jets, we end with the New York Football Giants. Because they are a team that nobody expected for them to be in this situation right now. Fighting for a playoff spot. When you looked at what Dave Gettleman, how this, how Dave Gettleman left this franchise, no money, not a lot of talent. People were saying, ah, two wins, three wins for the Giants this year. They'll, they'll be in the position to get a really good quarterback in the draft. So, you know, Daniel Jones will be done. He'll play the year and they'll see what happens and whatnot, but he's not coming back. It's, it's overdone. What are they going to do with Saquon Barkley? They're going to pay him. Ah. Can he stay healthy? Ah. Giants are right there. As a matter of fact, they control their destiny. All they got to do is win. And watching this Colts team tonight, now I will say this. Defensively, the Colts are playing well. I mean, they're holding this Chargers. They're only giving up seven points to this Chargers team, although the Chargers are about to score. So, this, you know, I think they'll beat the Colts. Looking at this Colts team. Defensively, nice, but they don't score. So they'll win and they'll, they'll have a chance at the playoffs. They'll be in the playoffs. And it's really, it's a, it's, it's an interesting situation for the Giants. Because on the one hand, obviously you want to win as many games as possible. You want to go in there 
short term, you want to go in there, win, find out what you have in the meantime, seeing how players perform in meaningful games late in the season. It's a great barometer. It's great for you to see and evaluate after the end of the year what you have, what you can get, what's expendable, and who fits your profile of the game plan that you have to make this Giants team relevant and have sustainable success going forward the way they've done it previously. And so now that's what you're doing. Now this is the fun part for you. Now this is the opportunity for you to see what happens and make the postseason. Yeah, it makes you change the game plan. What we're thinking about getting a young quarterback and the draft, maybe from, that's out. The young quarterbacks that you want that will be at the top of the list, you have no clue for. You're not going to get them unless somehow you don't make the playoffs. And even then, you're not going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL, so you're not going to get the top the top quarterback you might want. But you'll have some money coming off the books. You'll be able to improve your team. More, some free agents, a lot of draft picks that you hope to have. And so that's how you're going to improve your team. But for right now, it's about making the postseason. And in your first year, with a roster that, listen, there's some guys who have played well lately. Some receivers, James Hodgkins, they've played well. I give them credit. Are they, when you think of number one, number two receivers in the National Football League and, and what that, how that term is defined, the Giants don't have those players. But they have guys who have performed, who have done well in the scheme, who have practiced well, who have played well for Daniel Jones, and and they've scored points. Now, are they a team that you can get up on, that, that can come back from two, three touchdown deficit? No, it's not what they are. They are a team that gets that keeps you close with their defense, running game, eat up some clock. With Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. And they are a team that gets stay close to the fourth quarter, find a way to win. And they've been successful doing that. And it was interesting when they played the mirror image of themselves as far as staying close and winning late, winning one-score games. Not from a talent standpoint, because they've got nobody like Jefferson, but from a situation where they held teams late and found a way to win, that's what they found in Minnesota. And it was tough that they lost that game, and they put them in, you know, must-win must win games where, you know, they don't have margin for error. And if for somehow things don't work out for them, they're going to go back and look at that tie with Washington. And that's going to be the thing that's just going to make them crazy. Chargers up 10-3 at halftime, and they will receive the second half kickoff. So that's what the Giants are. That's where they are right now. But defensively, they've made strides. And I'm telling you, Wink Martindale has done a heck of a job with this defense because your strength is in your front, with your front seven. That's where your strength is. Okay, that's your strength. Secondary has come along. Okay, that was not your strength. Uh, bringing back Mark Collins, that he's been he's been great. He's been like another linebacker, linebacker slash uh, safety, who 
has made plays for you, has done a nice job, giving you some leadership, giving us help with the communication in the backfield. So he's done, he's, it was a nice pickup. So you're in position now as a Giants fan and the Giants team getting to the postseason and just getting just getting the Shane Dayball era off to a flying start. Because once again, and I don't know, obviously they've got their own goals. And their goals are to win games and get to the play. Everybody's goal is to win the Super Bowl. Everybody. Whether we think it's it's reasonable or not, that's everybody's goal is to get there. Everybody. But when you looked at this roster, you're like, really? They're going to be number five in their division of four. And they have played well. They got off to the quick start. They held on. They won some games. They've done a nice job. So now it comes down to the final two weeks of the regular season for this Giants team. Can they find enough offense? Can they find enough offense to win games? First against Indianapolis. And then to end the season in Philly. Will they find enough offense to win these games? Can the defense hold these opposing offenses close? Now, in Philly, listen, if I'm Philly, Jalen Hurts is not playing in that last game. I'm just saying. (laughs) He's not playing in that last game. So this may help the Giants as well. Will they rest certain starters? Who... What will Philly do? Indianapolis, they're going to play because, you know, they're going to play. But, I mean, let's face it. These guys are, they've got tea time set up already. Season's over. How will the Giants win these games? We'll hear from Brian Dayball next. It's the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Yeah, we're not in it yet. I'm not going to look too far down the road, and we're going to try to beat the Colts, and that's where I'm at with it. Brian Dayball was asked, what would it mean to make the playoffs in your first year as head coach of the New York football Giants? He's like, "Eh, I'll I'll tell you when it happens. (laughs) Hardesty and Fragrasso on 98.7 ESPN. Let's say more from Brian Dayball. Odori Jackson has missed a number of games with an injury to his knee, and he hasn't even been active. So the question for Brian Dayball, Brian Dayball, will Jackson practice to get ready for the Colts? I'd say we'll see on that. Again, each week he's gotten progressively better. Tomorrow will be a, a walkthrough. So we'll see where he's at with the trainers and the stuff, the rehabbing that he's doing. And then, you know, by the end of the week, we'll see. You know, maybe he will be, maybe he won't. I think it's too early to, to give you that answer. And if I know Dayball, that will be a game-time decision, probably. If he's able to go, that's going to be a game-time decision. They'll wait to the very last minute. Wait to the very, very last minute to make that happen. Giants, Colts, at MetLife. What would it mean for the fans to see a big game one in front of them that could be playoff, have playoff implications, Coach? 
They've been outstanding. I'm very thankful for all the support that our organization gets. The following, look, we work extremely hard each week to put a good product on the field. And, you know, one of the reasons is, you know, for our fan base. So to, you know, play at home in late December, an important game, you know, it's important to us. I know it's important to them and we'll do everything we can do to, to be ready to go. I got to tell you this, and this is probably lost, but for me as a broadcaster, this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun to have both local football teams in the conversation, okay, in the conversation about meaningful games in the month of December. We are approaching January. <laughs> and both teams have meaningful games. So I don't know how this is all going to work out. We have, you know, we'll have the discussion. Was the season a success? Was it not a success? Whatever happened. You know, we always have that. We always evaluate. And just from the standpoint of them having relevancy late in the season, this was a successful season for both teams. Now, when you start to tweak it a little bit, once again, it's going to depend about playoffs. For the Giants, this is a successful season anyway. Now, hopefully they make the postseason. Same thing with the Jets. Hopefully they make the postseason. And you tweak your expectations, and for both teams, it would be kind of a disappoint. It would be a disappointing season if they don't make the playoffs. Okay? If either one of them don't make the playoffs, especially after having the records they have. So because of that, then it would be disappointing. It wouldn't be a failure. It would be disappointing. Because you recalibrate how you feel and your expectations based on the record that your teams have. So going forward, it's been great talking meaningful games, playoff games with playoff implications in December. Oh, I've enjoyed it. I've loved it. I've loved it. Isaiah Hodgkins and Daniel Jones has developed a nice little rapport they have over the past. They had got a touchdown in the Vikings game. So, Coach, talk about that chemistry that's developing between quarterback and receiver. I think he's smart, tough, dependable. He works extremely hard. You know, in between periods, you know, he's usually thrown there with Daniel on a variety of routes, or they're talking about things that we've installed and make sure that he sees it through the eyes of a quarterback. So he's done a good job for us since he's been here. And once again, he's become a favorite. And so, like I said, like James, like a couple of the other receivers, they've done a nice job in fitting with the scheme that the Giants have put together offensively. And a lot of it is Daniel Jones running the ball. Okay, a lot of it is uh, just huge gaps up the middle <laughs> where Daniel Jones can just run and keep running and running and running. So I expect that they win against the Colts on, uh, on Sunday and that they will, you know, almost locking that lock in that playoff spot. I know they have to win another one probably, but you know, if they can lock in that playoff spot, they'll be in good shape. And I think a win gets that done. Okay. So once again, if they win one of their two final regular season games, if they beat Indiana, they're in done. Done. Now, if they lose to both 
Indiana and Philly. They still can get in, but it you know if the other team the other teams have to lose, so they would need some help. So, listen, it's very simple. All they have to do is win Sunday, and they're in, and that solves everything, because that's how you want it done. Right? You don't want help. You want to go in, handle your business. It's in your hands. If you're the Giants, go out there, kick Indianapolis, start off, jump right on them, and they will fold. Because they have nothing to play for. Play physical, play tough, get it done. And then, you know, let's have some fun. How about the NFC East, right? This is like vintage NFC East from back in the glory days. Three of the four teams are going to make the postseason. Three of the four. And maybe everybody in the division will have a winning record. We'll see what happens with Washington. But everybody could have a winning record in that division. And then you're looking at you know, Tampa, which probably will get in, win their division with a sub-500 record, possibly. You're looking at a couple, you know, give me a break. But this is what the NFC East, this is how I remember glory days of the NFC East. Giants and Washington and Philly, Dallas, all just, all just, you know, it was, it was at one time the toughest division in the National Football League. <laughs> You know, teams had some issues, you know, you, you, you go in cycles. You have good years, you have bad years, you have up years, you have down years. But this was a this was a division where it was tough. And the coaching, you had coaching legends in this division. Joe Gibbs and Parcells, Landry, and then, you know, later how about them Cowboys? Later, you know, yeah, well, I'll be nice. You know, Johnson. You know, so you had, you had really, really, really top-notch coaches in this division. Really did. And top-notch talent. Great quarterback play. And it's come back that way again. And it's nice to see. It really is nice to see. The old NFC East battling again. It's fun. It's fun. I I can't leave without talking about the situation in Denver. And I'm not listen, from early on, you had issues with Nathaniel Hackett from early on. And you know, quarterback play has did not help him at all. I mean, in theory, I mean, think about this. Who would have thought that Denver would be in the position they're in with Russell Wilson coming to that team? I mean, it was just, we thought that Denver was going to be handed a playoff spot. I mean, we were talking about the AFC, the AFC West. Like, who's going to come out of there? All right, you've got, you know, you've got, you've got the Chargers and you've got Denver and you've, you know, you've got, you've got these great teams in that, in that, in that, division and who's going to be able to come out of there and so you you see you look what happens 
And Russell Wilson has just been, I mean, he's looked like a boxer that, you know, there's this old saying that boxers sometimes get old overnight. You watch them walk into the ring and it's like, wow, he doesn't look good anymore. It's not like it was with Russell Wilson. It's like he's not played well this season. He's had an awful season. And so he's got to take his share of the blame. Nathaniel Hackett just looked like he was outcoached. And what, how they looked the last game, listen, here's, here's, here's what you know. And I've said this on numerous occasions here, and it, it's true. And it happened. The, the, the team in Denver, honestly, quite frankly, quit on their coach and their team last week. They quit. They quit. They gave up 51 points to the Rams. 51. Baker Mayfield was 24 for 48 for 230 yards and two touchdowns. 51 points. I think they scored on every drive they had. Russell Wilson, 15 of 27, one touchdown, three picks. Benched. And Hackett said it was unacceptable. It was brutal. We were unprepared. We were this. We were, we were. uh, And now he's gone. And I'll tell you this. You got to be bad. You got to be bad for a team to fire you before the season ends. Three games left. You got to be bad. (laughs) Yeah, two games left. This was your third after this game. You got two left. You got to be bad for the team to say, you know what? We're done. You're out. Done. Goodbye. And now we see special teams and the offensive uh, line coach, O-line coach is done. Clean the house already. Think Sean Payton wants to go to Denver? Hmm? Think? Maybe? I don't know if he wants to. I don't think so. I don't think so. I tell you, if anybody could fix Russell Wilson, it would be Sean Payton, though. I will say that. If anybody could fix him, it would be Sean Payton. But I just, I mean, that was a horror show in Denver from the beginning of the season. It has not changed. It has not changed. Tough situation. If you're a Denver fan, I feel for you. I really do. That wraps up this edition of the Dan Grosser Show. It's been my pleasure to host for Dan. Dan will be back uh, tomorrow on the K Show. I will be in for Dan tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. We'll take you right up to our Knicks Dallas Mavericks coverage. Special thanks to Christian Winfield, Nets beat writer for the Daily News, and Pat Ragazzo, who covers the Mets and MLB for Sports Illustrated. Harvey, Joe, thanks very much as always. Great work. Up next, it's Freddie and Fitz. They join you now on 98.7 ESPN New York. Have a good night, everybody.